continues today. Our series we began last week with the theme of Generosity Speaks. And I love this theme because I, I, I love to hang around people that are joyfully generous. I just love to watch a person who delights in using something that they have to just help somebody. There's something cool about that. There's something life-giving about that. And, and so I, I'm excited uh, just to spend these few weeks just to think about some of the things that you hear, some of the things that you feel even when you hang around a joyfully generous person. Last week, we used this theme uh, to describe where that heart comes from. We said that generous people think and say, it's the least I can do. Remember that? And one of my favorite things as a preacher, my heart just exploded on Monday, when I texted some friend about saying, hey, could you help out with upward evaluations on Monday night? And their response back was, it's the least I can do. I was like, yes, preacher win right there, all right? So I heard that a few times this week, and so I, I hope that, that you think that way. And I think even when, if you don't feel generous... I think when you begin to talk generous, it just leads your heart, okay? If you're saying, you know what, the least I can do is this, I think that just leads your heart to a good place, okay? So use that phrase. Um, and so we looked at that last week because we're so blessed. We're so ge- God has been so generous. God is very good to us. And so the least that we can do is X, Y, Z. And, that, and generosity flows out of that. And so the second thing I think that you hear, that you feel, that you experience when you hang around generous people is the phrase we're going to look at today. And it's this simple phrase, look what God did. Look what God did. Um, and this is kind of the, the story of the story of your life, right? Generous people, what they begin to find is that they begin to accumulate stories that if they were keeping an autobiography of their life, there would be these sections that would come along and say, there was this time that I was generous, maybe big, maybe little, but I was just generous in some way, shape, or form, and God did something really cool through that. Maybe he met a need, maybe he encouraged somebody, maybe something happened in the course of that. And so I, I want us to think today about those kinds of stories stories. And I would bet that if you have been a person who has been generous, and we're not going to define that, put a a dollar amount on that, but just you've practiced generosity in your life, you tend to find stories that follow that. Man, I I gave it away, or I I lent it out, or I I was there to help, and, and there's a story that comes out of that. And those are the best stories in life. I really think they are. The most the things that you sit around your, your, your dying bed and you talk about, oh, those times of generosity, those times of love, those times that were, were so good. And so I've got a video I want to show you uh, today that I think illustrates this, okay? And my temptation is just to show you the video, we'll pray and we'll go home. I'm not going to do that, but I think we could because I think this video paints a beautiful picture of what it looks like just to think, man, look what God did when people decided to be generous, okay? Listen to this, please. I had an accident and my hip was broken in so many pieces. I have two rods in my hip. She's an angel among us. If you watch her in the bread company, everyone comes in to see Catherine. You know, we sell the bread, but I feel like there are some people who specifically come with prayer requests and uh, I go pray for them. One day when we were sharing, she said she was in need of a different car, that her car was needing expensive repairs. I had been saving money, but uh, I knew it wasn't enough, so I knew I would take a few years to save for it. So a 
couple months later, I went in and I said, Catherine, how's your car fund coming? And she said, I gave it all away. And I looked at her and, and she said, there was a widow in need and I gave her the $5,000. I struggled a lot when I gave that money. And uh, I said, I feel okay, but uh, do you think I did the right thing? I mean, I cannot give what I don't have, so I just give what I have. I was shocked, and so I come home and I tell Pete that we needed to help Catherine with her car fund. He looked at me and he said, no, I think we need to buy Catherine a car. And I said, okay, great. Pete called Scott and said, do you know Catherine Great Harvest? And he said, yes, he did. Pete said, well, we'd like to buy her a car. He asked Pete, do you want it used your new car? And it just hit him right in the face. Why would he ask me that? Of course I would want a used car. That's good enough. He just paused for a moment and he said, I want a new car. And he said it was silent on the phone for a few seconds. And Scott said, whoa, I want to help. And so he pitched in some. So she came to the bakery and uh, she asked me, if you were to buy a car, what kind of a car would you like? I said, Debbie, I'm not really planning to buy a car. But she said, oh, just tell me. And she said, I'd like a SUV cruise control. And she said, I'd like a light color. And we called Scott. And he said, I think I've got the perfect car. So Pete said, can we deliver it tomorrow? So we have the bread company owner and his family, Scott and his family and our family. And Catherine sees us all coming in and she's just all excited to see everyone. And uh, I went to give them hugs and I said, what's Pete doing here? I did have the, the biggest idea. When I went out, And so we walked her over to the car. We said, Catherine, this is your new car. So, oh, I said, for me, this is for me. I said, oh, I, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. So God had new cars <laughs> for me. We all stood there in tears as we saw the joy on Catherine's face. And we got to be a part of it. And the joy of that was unbelievable. It's so right. It was such an excitement to drive it. We told Catherine that we would like this to be confidential. But I kept running into people who would say, I heard what you did for Catherine. It wasn't even us, it was Catherine. It all started with Catherine giving of what she had to a widow to help her, and it just continues on. 
Generosity begets generosity. We don't give in order to receive. We give because it's the nature of Jesus Christ. He gave us his life. So we, we have the, the DNA of Jesus Christ of giving. <laughs> yeah, so this is one story I would never forget in my life. that story. There's so many things that flow out of that. Generosity begets generosity, right? You see your license plate, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. So many things in that that um, are the basis of a life that you look back on and you say, look what God did. And so it reminded me as I listened to that story of a of an experience that Jesus drew his disciples to, that he said, hey guys, stop and look at this. Because something cool just happened, and I want you to see it. All right, it's in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. If you have a Bible, open up there and read along in your Bible, um, or your Bible app, or it's on the screen here with me. Listen to what goes on in those verses. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Okay, let's just stop there a second, okay? Uh, does your giving go up a little bit if Jesus is watching? I don't know. That's, a, that's an interesting side bit. I think that's interesting. Um, but you got, just picture the scene here, okay? You've got a temple setting. You've got, not pat, not, we're not passing plates like we do here. Uh, they're walking in line, and they're putting their money in big uh, hoppers, big bins, that would collect all of the funds that were going to the temple to support it to as acts of worship, all the kinds of things. They would put them in there. All right, and so I don't know how loud if it was metal based, and so maybe if you had a large gift, you got a large gong noise, katong, yeah, man, there's a rich man who just walked in, he gave a lot there, or what, but um, Mark highlights for us this, that many rich people uh, threw in large amounts, okay, so there was lots of gongs, right, lots of gongs, lots of thuds, lots of big noises as lots of large gifts were put in, but there's a poor widow who came in and who put two very small copper coins in, worth only a few cents. So imagine the sound of that, right? It's not kathud, k-tink, 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 k-tink. And, then, and people are thinking, oh, that's not much. And the people around probably thought that wasn't much of a gift. But I love what happens next. Because Jesus, calling his disciples to him, guys, come here, come here, come on. I want you to see this. I want you to note this. I want you to pay attention to what just happened here. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. And they're probably scratching their heads saying, I don't think you're right, Jesus. That doesn't sound right. But then he defines what he means. They all gave out of their wealth. They were getting out of excess and extra. Uh, They were going to go home. They were going to eat. They were going to be fine. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. And so there's this picture of this little woman. Um, I'm assuming she's little. She could have been a big woman. A woman, a widow woman who gives. And I read that story and I just am again amazed by the way that Jesus thinks about life. That Jesus notices things that we often don't, right? Most people in the temple that day would not have given a second look to the woman. Because they're, who are they drawn to? 
the rich people, all the big gifts, all the things that would have normally caught our attention, right? But yet he sees the small, not the large. Jesus does math differently than we do, is what I observe in that. She gave more than the others? That doesn't seem right. Jesus is impressed with things that don't seem to impress us. She gave two coins sacrificially, while others gave much larger amounts, but just out of their excess. And so Jesus looks at this scene, and I think it causes us to pause and think about our own generosity, about our own approach towards our things. And so there's a principle today that I want you to think about with me, and I'm going to call it the principle of the gap. It has nothing to do with the closing store, okay? So ladies, come back to me here. All right, it's the principle of the gap, and it's illustrated with this circle. Um, every one of us have a circle like this. All the available resources that are under my control, right? All of us. You may have little, you may have a lot, but we all have a circle, right? A circle of, of just all the things that are under my control and your control, right? You are the one who decides where those things go under in that circle, right? And so what is the woman just illustrated for us? Or what are all the people, in fact, just by giving away, what are they illustrating for us that that giving was a worshipful thing and so there's a blue circle I want to lay on top of that one that generous people they create a gap between what they have and what I choose to give away and thus choosing to live on less and so there's that principle that that the that the, the gap may be smaller it may be larger some just depending on how much you want to give away but but there's a gap that generous people always assume I'm going to create a gap between what I have and I'm going to choose to live on less, give away some, and I'm going to create the blue circle, right, in my life. The generous people do that. You may not think of it that way, but that's what you do when you give away money, right? When you donate, when you help a friend, when you help someone in need, that's what you're doing. You are choosing to say, it's under my control, I'm going to move it to somebody else, and so I only like to control this because I've given this other part away. And so the key part of this gap is what's created when you give something away, and if you and I were to go back and read that story that Jesus was watching, there's lots of richer folks who were creating a gap. It was, just, it was a smaller gap, like kind of what we maybe visualized here. But what's the woman's gap? What's the widow's gap? It's just literally a blue dot, right? She gave away everything that she had, and it's all yellow. It's all yellow. And so I just, Jesus highlights that because her, her generosity was costly, right? She literally put herself in a difficult position by her decision to do that. And so I just want us to think today that generous people can tell stories about, look what God did because of the gap, right? It's not necessarily the yellow stuff. Yeah, sometimes we tell stories God gave, but the best stories that generous people tell are what happens when I choose to shrink down what I'm going to control. I'm going to give some of it away, to whatever organization or whatever person, whatever ministry, whatever it may be, because I, I think it's a good cause. For, God is honored by it. And so what happens in the gap? And so that's what I just want to ask. What happens in the gap that creates stories out of our life? The first one is this. What happens in the gap? And the decision to create a gap is simply me acknowledging and honoring God. The first thing that the Bible, when it talks about you should create a gap in your finances, is because it's your way of acknowledging and honoring God. It's my way of doing it. It's your way of doing it. <clears throat> it's our way of saying, acknowledging God. You know that yellow circle that's in my life? It's all yours. It's not mine. This isn't like, I'm gonna, I have 100%. I'm going to give God 10%, but I have 90. It's all mine. It kind of gets us away from that thinking. It's a recognition that says, you know what? 
all of this is yours, all of this comes from you, and I just get to make a decision. So I want to acknowledge that up front, and so I'm going to give away whatever percentage up front. And so I want to acknowledge God, but I also want to honor God. I want to honor him by saying, you know what, you have given this to me, and I'm thankful, and I'm grateful. And so I'm going to honor you by using part of what you've given to me to do some good thing in this world with it. And so there's an acknowledgement, there's an honoring of God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 is an example of one of the many verses in the Bible that illustrate this teaching, this truth. Listen to what it says. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. All right, so you have wealth, maybe a lot of wealth, maybe a little wealth, but honor God with it. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. And that's a whole other sermon in and of itself with the whole first fruits thing. But in other words, give first, right? You get that first little, uh, first pass around the field in your combine or the first thing that comes in to your farm, give it away. Honor him with your first fruits of your crops. And then God's gonna take care of you. Your barns are gonna be fine. Your vats will be fine. God's gonna take care of you. And so it's an acknowledgement up front that I want to acknowledge and I want to honor God. And we could look at so many different places in the Bible where this theme is taught, is reinforced. Um, but I just want to go to one of the earliest ones. Flip over to Genesis chapter 14. There's this little interesting story that happens long before there's a church, long before there's a nation of Israel, long before there's the law of Moses. There's just one guy named Abraham living in this foreign land following God by faith. And you find this interesting thing where Abraham finds himself in a very scary situation, right? Again, Abraham owns no land. He's just brought all of his herds and all of his families down to the promised land from Ur, far away. And so he moved there. And they're just nomads wandering around. And one day, some kings get together. And Abram's nephew, Lot, and his family, they've kind of split ways with Abraham because their flocks were too big. And so... Uh, Lot has settled near a, a town, Sodom and Gomorrah area. And there's these kings that come and take captive and, and pillage all of the cities. And so they take off all the, go all the goods, all the people, and they take off north. And so Abraham gets news that his nephew, his family, everybody he knows and loves has been taken captives by these foreign kings. And so Abraham rallies his little soldiers, the little soldiers he had in his family, uh, many of them, he had a large family apparently, because they take off with a little small army, they finally track down the previously victorious kings, they attack them, and they win back all the people, all their possessions, all their stuff, plus the stuff that they get from defeating these other kings. And so he has this really good day, right? His coffers are full. He has enlarged his yellow circle exponentially with what has happened here today. And this is what happens in verse 17 of Genesis 14. It says this, that after Abram returned from defeating Ketelorim and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, so they got one pagan king who meets him, but then there's this dude named Melchizedek in verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now we find out who Melchizedek is. He's a priest of the Most High God. So he's worshiping the same God that Abraham is. The king of Sodom is a completely different story, but he's not, okay? He's not worshiping God, another God. And so he blesses Abraham. He says, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. So what are you learning about all of the stuff that has now filled Abram's coffers? It's not his. It all belongs to God, the creator of heaven and earth. 
And praise be to the God most high who delivered your enemies into your hands. And so the stuff is God's. The victory was God's. He has just bestowed it into Abram's life. And what's the next thing that happens? Again, long before church, long before there's Israel, long before there's law of Moses, what does he do? He creates a gap. He gave away a tenth of everything that God had given to him. He just says, I want to worship God. I want to honor. I want to acknowledge. And so for whatever reason, we don't know where this came from. This is just something that shows up here and it kind of continues on. That, that, that generous people, God-honoring people create a gap, right? Between I have and I don't want, to, I don't want my life to be about all, I, all of what I have. I want to acknowledge. I want to honor God. And so I create a gap by giving away some of what God gives to me. For Abram, it was 10th of what he had. Um, it's always a, a good, healthy, godly thing, I think. Um, there's other things too. There's, um, uh, that's not a get you to heaven kind of thing. It's, a, it's just a good practice as we'll see here in a moment. Uh, what happens next too, okay? So one thing that happens, we create a gap. We honor and worship God, which is always a good first response to anything that we get, that we recognize it's not mine, it's yours, God. I want to honor you with my life and with what I have, right? Number two, what happens in the gap? I build trust in God. I build trust in God. And this takes us back to our little widow, right? Keep, um, keep calling her widow, our little widow. She, our, our widow. Uh, we go back to our widow and... Uh, <laughs> I have a funny image in my head. And so um, maybe it's the giant widow who lumbered into, I don't know. Anyway, the widow, take go back to it. Just think about what she was doing though, right? Why does Jesus notice and commend her? It's because all of those other guys and gals who went to the temple that day and gave their large gifts, they went home in their nice, I don't know what the road, chariots, donkeys, whatever they came to the temple in, they went home, they sat down, had a nice meal, maybe watched... I don't know what you watched back in that day. I don't know. They watched, they did something. They were fine. It was nice gifts. They should do it. But think about the widow. What did she go home to? Nothing. This was all she had to live on. She gave it all away. And so how do you build trust in God? You give it all away, right? You give, you give, go home and write a check for everything you're worth, send it off to your local charity, and all of a sudden, you pray better? You bet you do. God, got nothing here. I need some help. I got it. You got to provide for me. Um, and the question that I keep asking is, where's your next meal coming from? And I'm not being flippant when I say only God knows, right? Only God knows where her next meal is coming from. But the part of the story that I love, I didn't even notice it until first service when we were reading this again, but who's watching Who's watching? Jesus, right? Jesus sees this. And I think it's ironic, powerful, that Jesus sees it, right? Because when you and I are wrestling with trusting God, with letting go of something, what are we asking? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay if I let this go? And this woman walks in, gives her last two pennies, and her heart's saying, God, I don't know if I'm going to be okay or not, but I trust you. I trust you. And the beautiful part of the story is that Jesus sees it. He is watching. He is quite aware of her situation. So I just have to believe she didn't go home and starve to death. And it was a tragic story in the newspaper that a week later, right? I think she was okay because Jesus sees it and he's aware of it. And he honors her for her sacrifice. And I think he honors her for her faith. And so how do you build trust in your life? We all say we want to trust God more, we want to know God more, but there's nothing that builds trust in knowing God and following God more than putting yourself in a gap, right? Create a gap in your life where God, you got to provide and I trust you to do it and I'm going to wait on you. 
and I'm going to work, I'm going to do all those things, but I'm going I'm to wait for you to provide and watch, because that's where the great stories come from in your life, okay? Number three, what happens in the gap? I think when we create a gap, we are intentionally fighting greed in our life, and Jesus warned us in many, many places about the danger and the proliferation of greed in all of our hearts. You see, I intentionally fight greed in my life. If I don't, where do I tend to drift to um, if I don't think this way, if I don't look to create gaps and say, you know what, I'm going to take my eyes off of me. Where, do our, where does our wealth go to? It, it goes to ourselves, right? It very, become much, very much becomes about me and what I can do. And so Jesus warned us. Uh, Jesus was once asked by a couple of guys who were arguing about a family inheritance, arguing about money. They said, Jesus, tell my brother to give me what I am owed, what I'm due. And Jesus' response was this in Luke 12, 15. He said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So Jesus, as he was prone to do, turns it into a nice sermonette on the dangers of greed. That wasn't the answer they were looking for or hoping for, but that's what they got. Because greed works itself into so many subtle parts of our life. And Jesus wasn't done because he goes on to tell a story. In Luke 12, verse 16, he tells them a parable that is probably relevant to a lot of us, that the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no place to share my, I have no place to store my crops. And so he's living the American dream part one. He hits it big, right? His farm does great. He's living the life. He's got plenty, more than plenty. And so he's asking himself the question, what am I do with it? I've got extra. What should I do with it? And he goes on to verse 18 to do part two of the American dream. This is what he said. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now again, that's not a bad thing. And you'd think a lot of people in the crowd are thinking, man, that guy's doing well. Good for him. I'm happy for him. I wish that was me. But then Jesus comes along and he turns the story up on its head when he says this. God said to him, to the man with so much, you fool. That doesn't seem like to be, it's going very well, right? That's, that's not the thing. Is that not you, well done, you financially wise man who's going to rest easy the rest of his life. What's his answer? You fool. If you're a Mr. T fan, you can say that in your head that way. You fool. I pity the fool because this very night, your life will be demanded from you. In other words, you didn't know it, but you were scheduled to die tonight and you just did all this plan not thinking about what happens after you die. And what happens, in other words, who's going to get all the stuff you prepared for yourself? You've built this thing for yourself, this kingdom for yourself, this life for yourself, but then you're going to be removed from it and you lose it. And so what do you do with it? What happens to all that? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And so the warning in that is we have to be intentional to be rich towards God. I want to read you a quote um, from John Piper's book from a long time ago now called Desiring God. And uh, he has a chapter on wealth and stewardship. And I just want to read you a couple of paragraphs. And um, I probably should read the first one and just kind of pause because it's, I love what it says. It challenged me. It messed with me a few months ago when I read it for the first time. God is not glorified when we keep for ourselves, no matter how thankfully, let's pause there, right? 
Most of us think, I'm so blessed, it's Thanksgiving. What am I going to say at my Thanksgiving table? God, I have so much. You have blessed me so much. Does that honor God? Kind of. But listen to what he goes on to say. God is not glorified when we keep for ourselves, no matter how thankfully, what we ought to be using to alleviate the misery. And then he begins to list the people of our world, the unevangelized, those who don't know Christ yet. And there's two billion plus of them that live on this planet or the uneducated, or the unmedicated, or the unfed millions. And I've read that several times in the last couple of months since it was brought back to my attention, and it just, it messes with me, right? So if I take that back to my story of my rich farming friend, it wasn't bad for him to have a great year. It wasn't bad for him to take care of himself. That was fine. But the implication was that because it's mine, it must be all for me. When God, I think, is instead thinking the second paragraph I want you to see that the issue is not how much a person makes. The evil is being deceived into thinking that a $100,000 salary must be, must be accompanied by a $100,000 lifestyle. God has made us to be conduits of his grace. And the danger is in thinking the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't when copper will do. That's challenging, right? You look around and we are the most blessed culture, the most blessed people that have ever lived on this planet so what does that mean for us? That means at least I need to be intentional that I can very quickly become the foolish farmer who says, you know what, it's, it's to me, it's for me, it's all about me. And I don't intentionally create gaps to say, you know what, I have been blessed more than I'll ever need in so many ways. So let me create some gaps so that I can help evangelize the world. I can help educate a world that needs it. I can help medicate a world that is sick in so many ways. I can help feed people. There is so much that can be done with what we have. And so we have an opportunity to think about that. We have to be intentional though. Andy Stanley in his book, Be Rich, um, says that if I'm going to be intentional, three words that are on the screen, maybe jot them down on your notes, but just that I must be, make this gap a priority it must be percentage-based, it must be progressive. And what he means by that is if I don't make it a priority, it's never gonna happen. If I just wait till I feel like being generous, I'm gonna find a lot of things to go shopping for before I feel like being generous, right? It's not gonna happen. It's gotta be a priority. It's gotta be a percentage because what happens if, if you learn, if you have a dollar when you're six and you learn to give a dime away, then you make your teenager and your, I don't know what the teen, average teenager make, maybe a couple million dollars a year for a teenager. Right? You learn to give away 10% of that. And as you grow older to be an adult and, and that percentage grows with you, but it's also got to be progressive. And I like this part of it because you get to a place where even if you do create a gap when you're young, but if you never change the gap, you get very comfortable with that, right? You're comfortable thinking, you know what? I, I've always given 10% and it's just a part of what I do and I don't feel it. There's no trust issues. It's just a nice thing I do. And, and maybe the progressive part of that means every year I bump it up a percent until all of a sudden, 50 years later, woo, that's scary talk, right? That's scary stuff. And, and yet that progressiveness keeps your heart sensitive to the fact that I am greatly blessed and God wants me to do something with it. All right, the last thing is this. What happens in the gap? And this is my favorite part of the whole thing because I think it goes back to our video of why uh, generosity begats generosity. What happens in the gap? I get to help fund Christ's, kingdom, Christ's work. I get to help fund Christ's kingdom work. All right, as a Christian, I can't think of anything more fun than to take something I have 
and to give it towards something that's going to honor Christ, teach Christ, build people up in Christ, point people towards Christ, right? As a Christian, that ought to be the highest thing in my life. It says that's the most joyful, exciting thing I could ever think to do with my life because of what he's done for me. And I love the picture of that. You've got lots of examples of it. But you find one in Acts chapter 4. Um, one of my favorite people in the Bible is named Barnabas. And this is his story, at least part of it. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. So there was this generosity, right? They were creating all kinds of gaps in the early church to say, hey, I've got this big circle, but inside my circle is all these things that I just, I want to feed people. I want to support the apostles and what they're doing and preaching about Jesus. I want to support this thing that Christ is doing. But then we get a specific example of, of Barnabas. That Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, from among the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So he had it in his circle. What did he do? He went, sold a piece of it. Didn't sell everything. He was fine, it seems. But he sold a piece of the property inside his circle, gave it away, let go of it, said, may Christ be honored and glorified through it. And I think, as you keep watching Barnabas's story, he continues to leverage all of these things that are at his disposal, inside his circle, his reputation, his gifts, his talents, um, the spotlight, all these things that are inside of his circle of control, he continues to give them away. And say, God, if, if Jesus is the one who's honored at the end of this thing, I don't care who gets the credit, I don't care what happens to me, just he's done so much for me, and so let me give it away. And so... Why do stories like the one we watched in that video inspire and encourage and do something in your heart? Because we love that. We love being a part of something bigger than we are. And so you and I get the opportunity to help fund Christ's kingdom work when we create a gap in our management of our money. And so today, it's my prayer that you and I would be a people with a growing story of all the great things that God does for us as he provides for us. And God has richly provided for us. Sometimes it may not feel like that, but he does in so many ways. And may we be a people with a growing story that comes through the things that we give away to him. And again, there's nothing that makes you more spiritually alive and in tune than when you release something that maybe your heart is a little tied to, but you give it away for God and his glory. And then most importantly, what he does and the gap in between. Because that's where he meets us, that's where he grows us, that's where he stretches us, that's where he, he blesses us in so many ways. And so, it's just my prayer today that we would be a people who grow. And someday, if not today, someday we'll be able to look back with joy and say, look at what God did.